0: Hello, I'm Tara Ruckman. And I'm Stephanie Howe, and we are Control the Chaos EDU. Are you burnout? Are you feeling frustrated or overwhelmed? Or maybe it's the opposite, and you're a go-getter and want to
1: level up, then it's time to dive in with real talk and solution-focused conversations. Good morning, we're here today, and we are going to be on part one of Roadmaps. So before we get into part one, I just want to say something. I was thinking about this this morning. Yesterday, I was working with some teachers that were just a little bit overwhelmed by this school year, and I was thinking about, you know, we don't do this for money, and I got my coffee cup out this morning and it says, I inspire for a living. And it just reminded me that, remember when you're having those days where you're feeling overwhelmed and maybe nothing's going right, you have some behavior going on in the corner, maybe kids are unengaged, uh, just find your why again. Why are you here? Why are you teaching? Why do you come to school every day? Because we know it's not the money because we're in education, right? So you, you started in this profession for a reason. So just remind yourself, I inspire for a living. Every day, day by day, I'm changing lives. I'm making an impact on young people, which eventually make an impact on the country that we live in. So if you're feeling overwhelmed and you're trying to control the chaos every day in your classroom, just remember that you inspire for a living. And I just, sorry, I was completely off off track this morning. That wasn't in the plan, but I needed to say that because I was looking at my coffee cup here before we got started in roadmaps, thinking about some of the teachers that I was working with yesterday that were feeling overwhelmed. So now, Stephanie, go, roadmaps.
0: Yeah, so we're going to be taking a journey today um, and exploring a different concept uh, that you might not have heard about, or maybe you have if you follow us um, before, because we are always tweeting about roadmaps because we see the benefit that these tools have. Um, So this is a great opportunity to try right now. And yeah, we do know some of you are really overwhelmed, but also because of the relationships you've built throughout this school year, Sometimes trying a new strategy to add to your toolkit for next school year can be really beneficial because you are able to already know your students that you have this school year. And so because of that, use this as an opportunity to try something new and see how it works. Uh, Spring is really, really hard. And so because of that, maybe you can use something and just try it and see how it goes. Um, And then you can adapt and make decisions about next school year. So it's always really good to try new strategies, I think, during the springtime because you have those current relationships. You've made um, those deposits with your students. And so you can try these different strategies and add them to your toolkit for next school year. So
1: that you brought in deposits, by the way,
0: (laughs) we just wrote a blog about (laughs) deposits and withdrawing. Um, Maybe we can add it to the show notes.
1: If you, have it, if you haven't seen it, it's McGraw-Hill blog, and it was a guest blog that we did, and it was so much fun to write. I love creative writing.
0: Yeah, so we'll have to add that in. Um, so roadmaps. I first saw this idea on Twitter, and it was from Amanda Sanderbolt, who's an amazing educator, so if you're not already following her, you should. And what she had was a Pear Deck roadmap. And I was like, what is this? So it was more for PD for teachers. So she was teaching teachers, and this was during the pandemic, um, how to use Pear Deck, but it was broken up by step by step by step. And so when I saw that idea, I was like, oh my gosh, this could help a lot of teachers, especially right now. Um, Because we were hybrid learning, we were kind of transitioning back into uh, the classroom. So I tried this idea with Google Sites. (laughs) I had a team of teachers that came to me and they wanted to make student portfolios or student showcases um, using Google Sites. And we didn't have much time. They wanted to do it during their like team meeting time to get every student set up at the beginning of the year. So relationships were just beginning to be made with these teachers and these students. And they were like, it's going to be around one group was 50 kids, another group was 90 kids. And I looked at the teacher and I said, I am not teaching direct instruction to 90 kids how to do a Google (laughs) site. Uh, I don't know if anyone has ever taught anything tech wise to multiple different people, Uh, but you've got your experts. So we've got our kids that are able to click. And they just click to figure out what it does those are like one of my favorite kids (laughs) and then you've got the kids that just sit there because they don't know they're too afraid to click (laughs) and you have that in a pd too with teachers like you've got your teachers that are experts at tech and then the ones that are hesitant towards it and so i told them i was like do you care if i try something new And they did not care because i was like kids will not be able to rewind me and if they do i'm gonna get annoyed and i'm gonna say like why weren't you paying attention why were you not listening the first time i talked about that direction why were you back on step number one when we're on step number three so i'm like i know my personality and just how that would kind of roll out so what i decided to do was to clone myself and so to clone myself i used video And I used a video to create these bite-sized pieces of how to create a Google site. So like step one, you're gonna go to Google sites and create a new video or a new Google site. So that was the first step. Then the second step was for the students to rename their site and share it with their teachers. Then the third step. So everything was broken down into these bite-sized pieces. Um, So students were able to rewind me, students were able to pause, Students could take notes if they wanted to. Some students even split their screens, so they had the video up and then their Google site up on the same screen, so that way they could do exactly what I was saying. Now, the important thing with these roadmaps is the teacher check. So because there were multiple teachers a part of this project, we were able to check in with students really, really quickly and just say, yep, that's good. You're ready to move on to the next step, or hey, let's do a quick mini lesson. Um, And let's talk about this or you did not watch the video, go back and rewatch. And so because of those high expectations at the beginning, the students were watching the videos. Um, And it was really cool experience because before I would have pulled my hair out, wanting to teach students Google sites like, yes, I want to teach them. But because everybody learns at a different speed, because these students have different prior knowledge coming into middle school about technology, because some teachers did use a lot of tech. Other teachers did not. It allowed that like level playing field for them to kind of say, oh, I can skip this video like I know how to do that. I need to watch this video maybe three times to make sure i understood those steps
1: i love that so much because you're really just chunking all of your instruction so that kids can go at the the pace that they need to because we all know that everybody um works at a different pace and just so you know i was that kid the kid in the back that really didn't do anything when i was in tech so that was me um so this is ex- this is exciting and we know that after Stephanie did that first time with roadmaps in her class. It really started taking off and integrating it in so many different ways. We have math that's using it with coordinate grids and statistics. We have science. We have social studies. I've seen multiple different ways in social studies that it's breaking down a concept or walking through the Constitution. We have ELA that's using it with like independent chapter books, and they're using it to break down the writing process, which is great. I mean, we use this with third graders breaking down the writing process as like a level up when they were getting ready to take the third grade guarantee. So that has really supported those students breaking down the writing process. Um We have Genius Hour that it's been. So we really have used roadmaps in every single content area so far. We have tech. Um, I have used it with special ed and extended standards. And when you have the extended standards in the state of Ohio, you have three different levels, the ABC complexity so thinking about where your students are at and doing those at the different complexities to really individualize your lessons has been really effective in um, a classroom that needs differentiated instruction and modified curriculum so these really are extensive ways to use these roadmaps
0: yeah and i've even seen teachers to differentiate send different roadmaps out to their students So as the students get really good and um, they're able to kind of complete these and they understand the expectations, teachers can start to differentiate and have students working on different roadmaps. We like to do this a lot during our enrichment and intervention time. So students can have some of those skill gaps be closed. So we're gonna explore what are roadmaps. Um, So kind of how these look, because I know this is a podcast, we are gonna provide um, examples in the show notes. So if you want to see it, because I know it's kind of like a visual overview, if you've never heard of this term, roadmaps. But what it is, is it's kind of has a start and a finish. And then from the start to finish, there's like these little boxes. Uh, if you do follow Akilah on Twitter, she has the coolest designs. So I usually start from the top of a Google slide and then like zigzag it down to the bottom. Akila, she'll have it going from like different directions. So there are so many different ways that you can make these roadmaps.
1: Think about Candy Land. If you need a vision of what it might look like if you've never used a roadmap before, it's like Candy Land where you follow around or follow the yellow brick road in Wizard of Oz. That's what we're doing. We're creating this map or this road and each individual box has an activity, a teacher check-in, whatever it is that you're chunking down in each box, there's a step to get there. Now, we don't have the ladders to go backwards, of course, but they can take that step backwards if they need to if you're thinking about Candyland. And, okay, we, we made this step further, but I really need to go back and check out the video here because I need to do that prior to going to the other step. So it's it's a map and think of Candyland. Everybody knows Candyland, right? Or at least if most people know Candyland
0: when yeah, you think, I think of so. it. I think so. All right. So the first thing you want to do is focus on your topic. What are your standards? So that is like the first thing when it comes to roadmaps that you you need to focus on. That should be your focus for everything you do. It shouldn't be about the tech tool or the activities, but what are you? trying to teach? What are you trying to get across? So it could be fractions. It could be um, something like with a book or some type of skill where you're comparing different characters. So again, going back to those standards is your most um, important part when it comes to these roadmaps. So that way, you're always staying on topic. Sometimes I'll see an idea on Twitter and I'm like, oh, that would be really cool, but it doesn't align with the standard. So in that case, I can't use that for this activity. So just be aware of that first.
1: So let me ask you, Stephanie, when you're creating your roadmaps, because I know you do a lot of them. I've done just a couple. Um, So when you create the roadmaps, do you start with the end in mind and work backwards, breaking it down? Or do you start with the standard and work upwards how, how where does your brain go as you're creating these
0: yeah so it depends on who i'm working with sometimes because it depends on their brain too you can go either way sometimes um a teacher will have hey here's the end goal of what i want my kids to do and then we back up and say okay well what steps do they need to get there um so that's for some teachers some teachers they know it just i think it depends on how long they've been teaching too like some teachers, they know the standards really well. Our newer teachers, the standards are new to them, so they're still learning them. Um, so it just kind of depends on the teacher. But most of the time, it's kind of that backwards design when we are planning these.
1: My my spec ed brain tells me to work backwards. Mm-hmm. I start at the level of where I need them to be, and then I gradually um reduce the complexity to to get a starting point to then work up
0: yeah and so after that um it's kind of deciding the layout we like to make it pretty so we'll add different backgrounds and fonts selecting the color choice those are like my favorite things Um, and then you can determine like what activities need to go on there so again looking at that backwards design and deciding okay what what needs to kind of go for the students to be able to achieve this goal. So when it becomes activities, it could be videos, it could be podcasts, it could be um, a quick worksheet, a graphic organizer for students to fill out. Maybe uh, there's some type of digital lesson where they're gonna do like a dragon sort type of activity. So again, looking at your standard and picking out what activities need to be in place And what is that order that they need to be in place is really, really important. So as a teacher, when you're teaching this and you're circulating
1: the room and you're checking in with students, I know you have a teacher check-in that you put in every couple blocks. How often do you put those teacher check-ins?
0: At the beginning, when students are first learning roadmaps, there are... Pretty much after every activity where students have to do something because we want to make sure that they know the expectation before they move on, so if they need to redo something. They have that teacher support they learn how to watch a video because a lot of times students don't know how to watch a video so by watching a video they're pausing the video they're rewatching the video they are fast forwarding if they do know that information already. So just teaching kids how to watch a video and then teaching them, hey, you have to go do something now that you have that knowledge. And so after that is usually a good time for a teacher check. And then as you get going, you can take away those scaffolds and have the students come up as they need because you will be available. But then you can provide less or you can keep those teacher check-ins in depending on what you need. I also have a teacher who is like really strict about the teacher check-ins at first. But now that her students are familiar with the roadmap, they just turn in like a post-it note to her when they're ready for a check-in. And she calls them up when she's available to meet with them. So figuring out your system is going to be best. And so
1: would you say that you do additional check-ins for the younger kids and then when as you get to the older kids, you start to reduce the amount of check-ins?
0: Yeah, I would say start when they're young, have additional check-ins, but then slowly scaffold them away. But I would always at the beginning of the year have more check-ins because students need to know what your expectations are
1: regardless of age i think that's a great idea just thinking about the pr- just the process because you don't know what they had the year before
0: yeah and then adding resources into the roadmap this gets tricky <laughs> and sometimes this is a roadblock which we're going to talk more about on um, episode number two but just adding resources are you going to put things in google classroom seesaw are you going to have students make a copy and share them back with you how do you want them to get the rec- uh, resources? And I think less clicks, the better for some of our students.
1: So- yeah, sometimes kids get overwhelmed by too too many clicks. If you have to click to one site and then go to a second site and search for something, that's that's a lot of steps and cognitive meta metacognition.
0: Yeah, and so with that, I usually tell teachers put it in Google Classroom and then It's a lot more work, but it's gonna save you time when you're with the kids. (laughs) You will not have as many questions of where do I go? What do I click? Um, And you'll have that less of a headache. So in Google Classroom, you can link things and then you'll get that direct link and then add that link to the roadmap. So when kids click it, it takes them directly to the assignment in Google Classroom. So that's just really important to think about. Also, you wanna make sure, sure everything's accessible. Can students use read and write to access things? Can they turn on the closed captions on the videos? Um, Do the links all work? Can they read the font? Or did you pick something that's cursive when your students don't know cursive? So really thinking about that accessibility piece is important as well.
1: So many important points that you just made, because honestly, I didn't even think about the closed captions. Like that's that's a huge one, making sure students. So thinking about all of that, summarize, putting all those things together, now we're getting into not just the learning piece of the content, but we're also getting into the executive functioning skills that it takes students to navigate these roadmaps and what executive functioning skills are involved. When I'm thinking about this, you know, the first thing that comes to mind is time management because we're all self-paced and we're going at our own level and checking in at different times. So that time management piece is so important for kiddos because if they get off task, and they're, they're moving at a faster pace or a slower pace, this might cause them to manage their time differently as they're navigating through a, a roadmap. Those teacher check-ins is, you know, that goal setting and making sure that we have those emotion regulations, right? Making sure that we're not getting frustrated with the tasks or overwhelmed or... Um, maybe we are stressed because we had that piece that they did right before was difficult information for them. There's so many pieces that you want to make sure and it's not just about the content, but when you do that, check in. Where are you? Do you need help? What's your goals for this this piece of content that you're learning from? So what else are you thinking that you have seen, Stephanie, when we're talking about those executive functioning skills? That was just a couple that I named. I know there's so many.
0: Yeah, I think just modeling for kids, how you can break tasks into smaller parts as well, just helps them with planning and prioritizing. They're able to kind of see that work being done and then having just the roadmap. It's organized. The kids love to cross off and use like the shape tool to pick X's or smiley faces or hearts to show like, hey, I'm done with that activity and I can move on. Um, So they like that piece as well.
1: I love that too, because when I make a list, I love to check things off. Doesn't it feel good? Like when you're checking things off. So I can imagine, you know, as a student, when you're sitting in a roadmap and you start to go through each of the steps and you start to put your check mark on it or your X or whatever tool that you're using to mark off that you're done. And you start to see gradually all those things being completed. That feels good. That's, that's like a feeling of success for kiddos. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: What about the, the attention piece? One more question. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you, but the attention piece, How are you sustaining the student's attention? I know that's a big executive functioning skill here. How do you sustain their attention when they're going through a roadmap? Because we know that um, right now, currently our kids coming back off of a time that we've been virtual instruction, their sustained attention is not where it was prior to when they left.
0: Yeah. So attention, that's always a fun one, because I think when we're doing direct instruction, you see it, but you c- you're you able to ignore it <laughs> with a roadmap. You're not able to ignore it as a teacher. You have to address it. Um, so the way I've seen it is the smaller chunks of activities um, using video instructions can help because usually it's like a two minute video is what I try to do. And I don't try to go over five minutes. So that way the kids know, hey, I can get through this quick video and it's kind of like tricking their mind. Like, here's a video. Oh, here's another video. But it's only two minutes. So really, they've watched 12, maybe minutes of video within that class period with the activities. But it's kind of tricking their mind because I know with me, too, I'll be on YouTube and I'm like, oh, this video is just two minutes. And then I watch it and then I watch another video. So I feel like I watched more um, using the checks can help also because. You're available as a teacher. You're not teaching direct instruction. This frees you up to do other things. I can call that student up and I can have a conversation with them. Hey, your goal is to get to step number three today. Your goal is to get here and set those goals with those students to help with their attention can really help as well, too. Um, Or if they're stuck, maybe, hey, you can have a break. And you're allowed to do those different activities because they're not going to miss your instruction if they take a break a lot of teachers are worried about that hey you can go to the bathroom when i'm done teaching i've heard that all of the time throughout my whole career well with a roadmap because you're not teaching in front of the class students can get up and use the restroom students can get up and take a break and then they can come right back to where they left off
1: oh my gosh i love that so much because we think about those squirrely kiddos that need that movement piece and really struggle to sit down, like. I'm not going to stay in my seat for this 45 minute class period. So having that self-paced model and where those moments where they could get up at a check-in and not interrupt the class and not interrupt the other students learning and not interrupt the teaching. That's such a like bonus for using roadmaps. So exciting.
0: Yeah, so let's just walk through an example. Just in case you need an example. There's some people that just need to see something live and this will be in the show notes. So writing an email is a skill that everybody needs to know. So we're going to kind of go there so it's familiar and it's not like subject-based. So the end goal with writing an email would be, I want my students to send an email. Okay, that's kind of like my end goal with this activity. The first thing is I always like to do an overview video. That way the kids understand how to get material, how the roadmap's set up. Um, I typically take that scaffold away after they get really good at understanding how roadmaps work. So sometimes though I'll keep it on there because I want to like introduce the topic and my like learning intentions for the lesson. So it kind of depends on the topic for that one. So students are going to just have a quick overview. Our goal today is to send the email. Then I walk through how to open an email. They have to have a teacher check. You can decide if you want to do a teacher check there. Uh, This might be for like third grade, we'll say. So I want to make sure they got to the right website. (laughs) Did they get to Gmail? (laughs) And if they did, they can move on. If it's more middle school and you know they know how to send an email because they do it all the time, except they don't really write an email correctly because they put everything in the subject line, you might not need a teacher check because you're like, oh, my students know how to get to Gmail. You also might not need that video if they know how to get there.
1: Well, that's 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 where we come in with the different levels of students because if you have these steps in here, And they're able to if one knows and they can quickly move through that pace and if one doesn't know then they can watch the video and go through and be able to learn it so that's a great differentiation of instruction right there to be able to um meet each students where they are and in the skill that you're teaching
0: yeah and then the next activity is we i wanted my students create a signature first because in gmail once you create your signature it sticks so i wanted them to create that first so then when they compose an email their signature everything's right there and i like the students to get familiar with that because we're expected as professionals to have a signature with our name with what we do in our career and any additional links or information we're able to put that all in that one place
1: i love that so much um i didn't have an email signature till I really started teaching and I had to learn to do it. So I love that we're teaching that at a young level. My 17 year old son doesn't have a signature either. So um, maybe do you think you could teach him
0: that skill? Yeah, he can have the roadmap. (laughs) Um, And then we talk about compose. A lot of times students don't know that vocabulary word, especially in the younger grades. So just talking about like, okay, we're going to compose an email. How do we do that? And then we go into who are we emailing? Who is our audience? Because if I'm emailing Tara, I might be able to add some bit emojis. I might be able to add some emojis. But if I'm emailing our superintendent, probably don't want to add a smiley face in that email. Uh, so walking through like who is the person that we're emailing, that's what goes in that uh, area, two area. And then focusing on like how am I going to address them? <laughs> And then the next thing is, like, what is the email about? So this is where the kids make a lot of mistakes. Your subject is not the email. (laughs) (laughs) And so we talk about that, like how you cannot put every email, everything goes there. It's like, what's the main gist? What's the main idea of this email? So you're working on ELA skills when you're writing an email, uh, really.
1: Absolutely. But I'm thinking you're talking third grade, and I'm still thinking, that I have like some 7th and 8th graders that could be using this roadmap right now. Yeah, yeah.
0: (laughs) because we didn't have this roadmap when they were in 3rd grade. For sure, (laughs) for sure. Um, And so then I like to put a teacher check there because I know my students and their subjects. Because I know my students and I built that relationship up, I want to put a teacher check right after that part so that way I can say, okay, they, they understand what a subject is now.
1: <laughs> and then your greeting, right? After you do your check-in, you have your greeting. Um, and again, right, the way I'm going to greet Stephanie is not going to be the way I'm going to greet my um, superintendent for using that same example. And then your message going into your body, what is it? Are you trying to communicate with whoever you're communicating? Is it um, something that you're asking a question? Is it an email to tell your teacher, this is funny story, that you didn't manage your time well, that we got an email about, or Ashley, when we were doing executive functioning skills, got an email about that their students didn't manage their time well, so they were behind on their assignment. So once you get that body, again, going back to those ELA skills and communicating what it is that you're trying to email, then you go into your closing. So again, is it a bitmoji? Is it a thank you? Is it a sincerely? Who are you writing your email to? And if this is, we're thinking about third graders, they probably don't have all those thoughts, processes to be able to come up with four or five different end or closings that they might be doing, thinking about who they're sending it to. But this is where you can start building those skills here when you start thinking about who the email is to and what is the appropriate reading and what is the appropriate closing to the email. Okay. And then proofread and review checklist. I love that you have this in here because has anybody ever sent an email and then seen that little undo box in the corner really quickly and like, oh, I missed it because I didn't read it over. I feel like I do that all the time when I'm sending an email and then click the undo before it gets sent. So providing them and uh, that practice of proofreading and reviewing their email early on is is huge because we all know if we're sending an email to somebody professional, we don't want to have a bunch of grammar and spelling mistakes and punctuation in it. So just as important to proofread and review an email as a step for sending an email as it would be for you to proofread an essay or a writing that you're working on in ELA. Yeah.
0: And I love the checklist because it's a self-check. So before the kids hit send their final assessment, where they're going to actually send this email that they've been building, um, I get to see, did they do that checklist? And they start to create that like self-awareness.
1: So this is a wonderful example, and you're probably not in the springtime working on writing an email, but this was kind of us going through and Stephanie being able to share one of the examples of one of the roadmaps that she created just to kind of give you that visual of what it looks like and how to break it down, whether you started at the overview and worked to your end goal or you started at the send email and worked backwards of all the steps that you needed to take to teach a student how to send an email. This is a great example, Stephanie. Thanks for sharing. And of course this is gonna be in the show notes and we'll be sharing out on Twitter and posting on Facebook and Instagram with a link so that you're able to find this example and create your own.
0: Yeah, and so that was just part one. (laughs) Roadmaps are a lot, but what we want you to do is take what you learned from part one and start creating. Think of a standard think of something you want your students to walk away with um, for maybe next school year maybe it it might not be a content standard maybe it's something like an email template that your students have struggled with all year and what's going to make them successful for that next grade level so tune in next week for part two where we're going to talk about the different roadblocks and how to break those down uh, so that way you're able to support your implementation so again this week we just want you to create don't implement it just yet because we're going to talk about some roadblocks that we have experienced some failures that we have experienced and talking about implementation because I've seen teachers I've implemented it wrong at first and you learn you learn from your mistakes but I want you to learn from my mistakes so come back next week to hear about part two And if you've liked this episode, please let us know by giving us a five-star review and make sure you like and share this episode. Until next time, control the chaos. Thanks for listening to Control the Chaos EDU. Check out the description for show notes.
1: We look forward to connecting with you on social media. Subscribe to the weekly podcast so you never miss an episode. Control the chaos. Until next time.